Hello everyone, I'm Mike Ward and welcome to Conversations in Healthcare, a broadcast series brought to you by Clarivate. In these broadcasts, we reach out to key opinion leaders across the whole of the healthcare ecosystem and talk about the challenges they face and the solutions um, that they are developing. A key component of that ecosystem is the fundamental research that is conducted within academia. Indeed, many of the sort of the technologies and products that shape modern society, even outside the healthcare system, were probably first conceived uh, within a university. The process of translating uh, you know, such insights uh, into new products and services that provide benefit to wider society is, is one of the sort of the missions of, of many sort of university knowledge exchange and tech transfer offices. So to get some insight into how that process actually works, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Phil Clare, who is the Deputy Director, uh, Research Services, Knowledge Exchange and Engagement uh, at the University of Oxford, you know, one of the world's leading universities. So, Phil, thanks very much for, for, for joining me. That's a pleasure, Mike. So, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, the role of technology or knowledge transfer activities is to translate university research into products and services that you know, have the potential to provide societal benefits. So, I, I thought it, it might be helpful if, if you could first describe sort of the University of Oxford's sort of your vision and mission for your knowledge transfer and exchange and, and give us some insight into the sort of the breadth of opportunities uh, that, that you are dealing with. Sure. So, um, I mean, Oxford, like all universities in the UK, is a charity and we're focused on public benefit through our research. Uh, through our uh, education and teaching and through our knowledge exchange. So, so I guess if I, if I sum up um, you know, what we do, it's to work through all of the ways in which the university can make a difference to the world, make a difference culturally, socially, economically. Um, and some of the mechanisms that we use are very commercial, creating new businesses, licensing technologies. Some of them are much more um, about engagement with different public audiences or with policymakers. Some things are broadcast widely. Some things are protected um, under you know, intellectual property. Some things are managed through collaborations with other organisations where we co-create knowledge as part of a research programme um, and then share that directly with the person that we're working with. So there are many, many mechanisms um, that we use, but all of them are aimed at maximising the impact of our research. So uh, with such a sort of your wealth of research, um, that you know is generated um, within the university, um, and, and obviously you know, almost like on a continuous basis. How how do you go about prioritizing uh, you know which you know, programs or projects or assets that actually are going to um, sort of grab your attention or get your attention? Gosh, um, uh, I mean the, the 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 real answer is. You just can't. I mean, there is so much that comes up. What, what, we, what we try and do within the various aspects of our work is uh, develop processes and um, develop support mechanisms and education that will allow academics to achieve their, their individual goals. Um, so if what they really want to do is reach a wide public audience, a public engagement with research activity is designed to 
um, to give them the tools to help them evaluate uh, what they do, to help them find ways to reach out to large audiences for their research. Equally, if, um, if somebody has a commercial opportunity, they'll talk to Oxford University Innovation, our wholly owned subsidiary that does uh, the technology transfer, um, and they will look at the market, they will look at the possibilities for patenting, and they'll um, reach a, a decision with the academic on what the commercial possibilities might be and what routes to market uh, they might take. Uh, and there's a whole other range of opportunities in between uh, that we try and facilitate through networks, through training, um, and through engaging with, with other partners. So um, prioritization, really difficult. Um, in the end, sometimes the prioritization, um, you know, the endorsement comes from external partners. You know, if you've got something that's available for license and people want to license it, um, then the markets have spoken. It's the, it's the same with, with spin-out companies. If something is suitable for a spin-out company and investors express an interest, then, then you take it forward. So, so the, 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 the colleagues who look at the, the commercial end are very experienced in understanding those market opportunities, and they, they use that to prioritise. In the end, what we don't want ever to do is deny um, a piece of groundbreaking research the opportunity to, um, to have that impact. So actually what we're doing um, is investing in different channels and different mechanisms. Um, so let me give you one example. Um, at the moment, we're looking to uh, increase the number of social enterprises that come from the university. So historically, you know, technology transfer 20 years ago was all about financial return. But actually the university um, in, a, in a review seven years ago explicitly said financial return is always secondary to maximizing impact. And what that's led to is growth in businesses being founded who are aiming at social outcomes. Uh, and I think so. I think we created 10 in the last 18 months. Um, these require access to a different sort of investor, investors who are looking for a societal as well as an economic return. And therefore, we're looking, working with um, uh, 11 other universities uh, in, in the UK to raise a fund collectively to invest in those sorts of businesses and this is an area of growth and there are many people who are not very interested in making money but are very interested in making a difference so we want to facilitate all of these opportunities so could you give us an example of you know uh, a societal enterprise you know you know how the the whole concept was sort of you know created and, and then and then delivered um yeah well yes okay so um uh, what should I pick? Uh, smart hand pumps. So um, it turns out um, that with the application of sophisticated AI, uh, you can improve um, uh, the ability of communities that rely on pumped water from the ground in very rural communities in, in developing countries. Uh, you can improve their healthcare through improving um, your ability to manage uh, these mechanical devices. So you, you go to you know, dry parts of rural Africa where the groundwater is not fit to drink. Um, and the only way to get healthy water is stuff that's pumped from, you know, deep wells. So the trouble there is if, the, if that hand pump breaks, which an entire community relies upon, um, it can take uh, a month to fix that pump, by which time everybody has been forced to go to polluted water sources. And, and you know, and those, um, there are bad healthcare outcomes for the community. So um, it turns out that if you put a sensor on the handle of one of these pumps, um, 
which is tuned using AI techniques to understand what vibrations in the mechanism are predictive of imminent failure. It means you can call somebody out to fix the pump before it breaks. That means that you can reduce the, uh, the amount of time it takes you to fix that pump um, to a time which will allow people not to be forced to use uh, dirty water for drinking. Um, with a little modification, you can also set, um, send a signal to the company in the city that's responsible for sending the engineers out to fix the pump so that they know it's going to break even before the people using it. So in experiments, that cut down the, the fixing time from 30 days to 24 hours, which is a tremendous outcome. And this was a collaboration between Oxford computer scientists and Oxford engineers, uh, and that was turned into a, into a social enterprise. It was funded through crowdfunding. Uh, the university has Oxreach, its own crowdfunding platform, uh, in order to set this up as a, as a social business. Um, as an aside, I was told uh, while I was talking to somebody about this that they also discovered that they could tell the difference from the signals between whether men, women or children were the ones operating the pump. Uh, so this turned into a new research project to understand what the, uh, what the sociological um, uses of those hump pumps were and which sections of the community were the ones that ended up going out to pump the water. So that's one example of something uh, that was crowdfunded um, uh, from a very broad community to set up a social business based on uh, some quite sophisticated technology emerging from the university. Um, so, uh, I mean, so that sort of brings to the sort of question, and, and I guess it's you know, also in some of your other activities, is so how, how proactive are you in you know, sort of seeking those sort of collaborations or are, are they initiated by, you know, sort of potential partners? I mean, I was sort of, you know, so in, in that case, was this an idea that you thought, oh, we can think of an application or was it that somebody came with a problem and then you realised that actually there was something that, that you uh, had access to that actually might help? Uh, that, right. that so, I think that, so that the idea and the application of the idea was driven by the academic groups who you know, recognised a problem and set about solving it. And a lot of, a lot of research in those areas is, you know, directed towards a particular solution um, so how do we build those collaborations i mean we have many collaborations with with industry oxford has the the largest volume of industry collaboration kind of funding of any uk university and some of those are very long-standing um, collaborations that have been going on for decades um, where do they come from um, sometimes a company with a problem will approach a, a, the university or or um, even better, a company with a long-standing interest in the area of research will approach the university, and from that, a collaboration will develop. Um, sometimes, somebody can bump into an academic at a conference uh, from a company and discover they have a mutual interest. Sometimes, somebody will read a paper and phone up. Sometimes, we will you know, target particular areas of expertise uh, where we're looking to build activities, and we'll go and speak to companies who might be interested. Um, so specialist colleagues um, in, uh, in the university act as that interface between the academic community and universities, uh, sorry, and, and external businesses. Um, uh, and I think our aspiration is very much moving towards uh, not just research contracts, uh, but long-term partnerships. So we've got long-term partnerships with companies like Rolls-Royce or SCG or Nova Nordisk, who just moved into a 
uh, a laboratory on, on our campus. And we see that as the future. Companies who want to invest um, not just money, but time and people in building a collaboration. Um, those are the things which, you know, are um, seem to be the most productive in producing mutual benefits. And I think that the, the transfer of knowledge through interaction of people is far more effective than exchange of money and writing things down. Um, so I think our aspiration is for deep, long-term strategic partnerships with, uh, um, you know, with our corporate partners. And often, of course, that's the channel for commercialization. So if you have a long-standing partnership and ideas which are capable of being commercialized or emerging from that partnership, then the obvious channel um, for taking some stuff to the markets is through the partner. Um, what we don't ever do um, is uh, sort of leave things on the shelf, if you like. Um, our, our job is to create knowledge that's used or made available, not hidden or locked away. So I think a, a, a cornerstone of everything that we do is, um, is that things are, are published or made available for the world for, for use or, for, or, or just for sharing. So obviously, uh, academics' careers are built on their publications. So even within our kind of corporate relationships, uh, we always include um, the mechanisms that will allow academics to publish. Even if our corporate partners are patenting or we're patenting things, in order to easily, more easily kind of attract investment, um, they, the, the outcomes will still be published and made available. Right. So, <clears throat> and actually, I mean, I mean, that's interesting that um, you, you sort of mentioned about the, the publication, um, because, you know, historically, that's how uh, sort of, uh, you know, university researchers, you know, their, their efforts have been recognised. Are there any sort of your know, instruments where, you know, for example, being involved in one of these sort of societal enterprises or helping create that, that it might not necessarily deliver a publication, but there is still some sort of, you know, recognition that of the, yeah. the value that it provides to the university? Yeah, I think so. I mean, often, you know, many of our enterprises come as a consequence of or as part of the delivery of research. So, um, as an institution where, you know, the excellence in our research and excellence in our teaching is at the heart of what we do. So um, most of what we do is driven by that excellent research that sits behind it. That's not to say, you know, I suppose the caricature of technology transfer is we do some great research and something fascinating randomly appears and we think, oh gosh, what can we do with that? I think it's a lot more thoughtful than that. And so research projects will have the impact pathway designed in from the beginning. Um, so most academics, when they start doing a piece of research, will also consider what the what the application potential of that research is, and will start to engage with partners who are going to be part of that application from from day one. So th this idea of this sort of linear notion of you know idea to market, um, it, it's always a lot more complicated than that, as many of our academic colleagues are, will will continue to point. Um, right. Not sure I answered your question. <laughs> No, 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 that, 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 that did actually. Um, <clears throat> so, so, so when, you know, creating uh, the, these, these, these collaborations, um, you know, what, what, what are the sort of the, <clears throat> the sort of the challenges or the issues or you know, sort of the most common hurdles that you have to overcome when sort of you're constructing 
um, uh, a collaboration. Yeah, so I think um, so off the common hurdles. I mean, companies and universities are very different, uh, particularly when you're dealing with corporate partners, but external organisations and universities are different and have different drivers. So um, we are a charity, and so public benefits is at the heart of what we do. And um, the ability to speak freely and the ability to publish are at the heart of the academic mission. Um, so uh, sometimes, you know, the, the desire to um, uh, publish or the desire to manage intellectual property in a particular way is something that, not so much a bone of contention, but a point of discussion that always needs to be properly managed between universities and companies. Um, and I think, you know, for a long time in the UK, we've had the Lambert Agreements, which uh, many companies and universities use to enable um, uh, uh, in, you know, research contracts to be established. And even if people don't like the agreements themselves, what is useful about them is that they establish some of the principles um, and they, they, if you like, highlight some of the core challenges that do need to overcome. So any contract with a company is going to need a mechanism for managing intellectual property, a mechanism for publication, a mechanism for commercialization, um, a mechanism for managing the project. All of those sorts of things tend to be um, built in. A lot depends on the project. You know, if it's a piece of research, which is essentially um, one in which a company is bringing us some of their ideas um, and some of their intellectual property and asking us to contribute some of our work to, to their ongoing program, then you know whatever we design is going to be biased towards delivery of a program which is going to be part of their work. If, on the other hand, we're doing some fundamental research and have a long-standing research program, a company comes to participate in that, then we would expect that to be them contributing to part of a university's long-term activity. And what they gain might be knowledge and might be access, but would not be control or ownership. Um, and there's a whole bunch of nuances there, and you, you build them on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, in the end, it comes down to understanding what everybody wants out of the relationship, not assuming um, for a university that you know what an industry goals are without asking, um, and vice versa, not assuming that uh, all universities are the same. Um, universities are different. They have different characters. They care about different things. So for a company talking to a university, I would I would you know, I would make sure that I, I asked questions and listened uh, to what the key priorities are. And for any university talking to a company, I would say the same thing, because not all companies are the same either. So those are, those are the sort of um, issues that often come up in contractual discussions. Actually, um, sometimes not included, but very, very important to what does the ongoing project management look like? How do we make sure that we are comparing notes on a regular basis? What's the sort of the structure of the management committee of a project or program, depending on how big it is? Who's on it and are they committed to success? Um, those are the sorts of things which also need to be part of any project proposal. And those are the sorts of things which support long-term partnerships. You know, if you have a long-term partnership where you don't talk to each other, it's not going to last. If you've got a long-term partnership with a good structure that um, where people regularly discuss the direction and strategy of a project, then you're far more likely to succeed. And and the sort of the you know the people sort of you're representing the university, it would that be people you know associated with with, with your department or is would it be the, the academics themselves? Um, so it, it varies. I mean we work in partnership with academics. Um, you know they're the ones with the vision and the research. Um, but we aim to 
uh, lighten all the administrative burdens and provide professional support services where we can. Uh, not just in my department. So research services provides a lot of that professional support for contracting and, and for uh, partnership building. But there are other colleagues distributed through the university in research facilitation teams or industrial partnership teams uh, or in the tech transfer teams who actively support the academics in these endeavours. So the academics are the, you know, are obviously the key focus. Um, and what we will do is build teams or support networks around individuals to help deliver the outcomes that we want. Hmm. I, I mean, how so, you know, building collaborations? I mean, you know, so, you know, when we sort of see you know company and companies getting together to sort of you know sort of build collaborations, you know, I hear that you know sometimes it can take you know, eighteen months from the idea being first proposed to the, sort of the deal actually, uh, sort of, I guess, getting prime time. So in the sort of the relationships that, that you have with, with, with your external partners, what, what's the sort, of, the sort of the timelines are we looking at from that sort of, you know, creating the, the original idea to actually coming up with something tangible? Well, so um, that's a very good question. I mean, as, we, as is always the case, you know, how long is a piece of string? And, and it depends. You know, sometimes um, relationship building can be a long-term trust-building exercise. So actually small projects um, to see how things go, to build trust and lead to larger projects uh, can be the way to get these things going. And, you know, doing the deal, writing the contract, again, the first time you interact with somebody, it's going to take longer because you're seeking to understand each other's needs and, and you know, hopefully you're doing some listening um, and that may take longer. You know, when you've got a long-standing collaboration or somebody who you deal with a lot, you understand what the issues are, understand what the feelings are on both sides. So things can be turned around extremely quickly. Um, I think also circumstances play a huge, uh, a huge role. Um, you know, the best way to speed things up, it turns out, is have a massive global pandemic. Um, because, you know, and, and that was a flip in the mark, but I've been um, amazed in the last year um, how quickly the scientific and industrial community has moved to work together to deliver things that everybody knows are really urgent. So, you know, in the early days, the work that everybody did on constructing ventilators um, and bringing together research groups um, from universities and companies who were able to you know, develop production processes in a matter of days was a remarkable kind of feat of collaboration. So I think, um, you know, the answer is you can do it very quickly when it's very urgent, or you can take time if that's what the circumstances uh, require you to do in order to build trust and have a great long-term relationship. So um, again, I, I didn't give you a timeline. Um, I, I think realistically, um, busy and large organisations can often take quite a long time to turn these things around because people in companies and people in universities may be dealing with 50 contracts at once. That's just the reality of people with busy lives. I mean, it, it always takes longer than you want it to take. Um, but equally, um, I think I've rarely come across insurmountable challenges that can't be overcome by having a deep understanding of each other's needs in putting these contracts together. And um, in your experience, are there some sort of, you know, tips or best practices that that you know, potential partners 
could you know, engage with that would actually you know, ensure that such you know, negotiations are conducted as rapidly as possible? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, gosh, I mean, personal contact is always important. Um, I've never been a fan of doing everything by email. Um, what's the tips? I think understand what it is that you want to achieve before you start writing a contract is always key. Um, uh, and communicating the principles of what everybody gets out of it. There's nothing worse than getting halfway through a process and realising you misunderstood the intentions of the person you're talking to. So open dialogue, um, honest dialogue about what's, what's wanted, about what limitations are, about what timescales are possible, about what budgets are possible, is always a sensible place to start. Um, and I think then just investing personal time in the process is something that I would always want a partner to do. Um, yeah, that's probably uh, not very helpful in terms of tips, but my, I once heard somebody, um, a leading industrialist, talk about his philosophy for engaging with universities. And he said, you've just got to put boots in the ground. If you don't put people in the, in the equation, you might as well burn your money in the car park which was an image that, um, that has stuck with me. Um, and I think the same is true of, uh, of universities. We need to make sure that there's a proper relationship going on and there's a proper connection between people in the company and people in, in the university and the academic needs. Yeah. So uh, just as a, as a final question, I, I, just thought, you know, I want to sort of you know, flip back to this, um, the, what you mentioned about the sort of the, the desire to um, ensure that there is a societal benefit from the from the research that, that, that is conducted. You know, when one is sort of you know developing, say, you know, uh, sort of an industrial um, you know, relationship, where it might involve, you know, I guess, a new medicine, or it might be new diagnostics, or sort of a new ventilator. You know, one can sort of see. Uh, success in terms of, I guess, you know, uh, revenue generated, which could flow back to the university. On the societal benefits, um, how do you how do you sort of your measure yeah. the, the 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 sort of the impact? You know, what 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 would be a good result? Well, I mean, it's, it's um, these things are often very hard to measure, and the trouble is, we tend to use the financial you know, the, the metrics that are used tend to be financial proxies for real outcomes. So it is very hard. I mean, in some areas of our activity, um, so the public engagement activities, measuring the outcomes requires built-in evaluation processes from the beginning. Um, and there's some good practices in that community that you know, I'd like to you know, um, wonder if we could broaden out in other areas. I mean, I suppose it, you know, the... the, the, the the facile answer to the question is if the collaboration works, then everybody will want to do it again. Um, and that's one measure of success that everybody feels that they've got out of it what they want. Um, in healthcare, um, you know, clearly what you want are interventions that save lives. What you want are things that improve people's quality of life. Um, you know, what we want right now is as many vaccines and as many arms around the world and as many countries as possible, as quickly as possible. So, you know, those are, those are the, the outcomes that, that we want. Um, one hopes that, uh, that, uh, that history will, uh, will find good ways of measuring uh, success that the, the court of political or public opinion struggles with from time to time. Um, I, I think um, 
yes, in, in the end, those sorts of outcomes um, are best delivered through large partnerships. Um, and I think one of the things, I mean, we've talked a lot about the relationship between university and businesses, but what we've not really talked about is engagement with the whole healthcare system, you know, and patients and all of those things. And I, and I think it is important when we're considering the really big healthcare challenges that we're facing. Um, you know, the problem of ageing and ageing diseases and multimorbidity is not something that we're going to tackle with a one-off research project. These are the sorts of things that require significant new thinking, significant collaborative programmes. Just one such programme um, that we're engaged in at the moment is the UK Spine. It's a, um, it's a CCF, that's um, uh, what's it called? collecting community funding programme funded by Research England. And that involves the universities of Oxford, Birmingham and Dundee, the Medicines Discovery Catapult, the Crick Institute, and a growing number of partners through the UK looking at tackling some of the challenges around ageing diseases. You know, what, what new, new therapeutics, uh, new regulation, you know, the, the, in order to um, improve our um, solutions to these challenges, we need to take a systemic approach that no one institution, how big, however big, can possibly hope to tackle on their own. So working with industry partners, different universities, different intermediaries and different groups to pull together broad collaborative uh, programs to try and deliver solutions. I think is I think is something that we're going to have to do more and more. You know, climate change is not a not a single project issue. Um, you know, pandemics are not a single project issue. These are things that are going to require you know concerted effort over decades. And I think that that kind of um, also plays into you know the way that we need to view our universities um, as you know as a nation. You know, we're tremendously good at research and development in the UK, and our universities are collectively, by every measure, very good at it. Um, we don't know what the next crisis is going to be, or we've got some shrewd ideas. We don't know when we're going to need all of the knowledge that's generated in those universities. I think what's really important, though, is that we, we in the UK and people like me in the universities develop effective mechanisms so that when it's needed, um, either in terms of a partner wanting to draw upon that knowledge um, or because there's a national need or a global need, uh, then we've got mechanisms for making sure that that knowledge can be translated out of the institution um, to partners to the world at large, to public, um, you know, with appropriate mechanisms. And, you, and yes, measuring that success. You know, um, you, so you, you talked about measurement. I mean, the, the Research England just published the Knowledge Exchange Framework across the UK, which looks at um, all of the many different dimensions of how universities are tackling this problem and how do we make a difference. You know, within that, there are seven perspectives. Um, you know, of which one is IP and commercialization, one is research partnerships, one is public and community engagement, one is regional development. Um, these are all the different ways in which we make a difference. Uh, and what is fascinating about that knowledge exchange framework exercise, which can be found on the Research England website, is that you know, of the 150 universities in the UK, you can look at that um, those out, out, outcomes and see the strengths of all of those universities and all those universities are engaged in it 
and they're all strong in some areas and you wouldn't expect everybody to be good at everything um but what you would expect is everybody to thinking be thinking about how they make a difference and, and that exercise has demonstrated that we all do think about it and we all do measure it um and, and as i said before you know unfortunately there are no good measure, metrics for outcomes so they're, they're always just inadequate proxies but it is heartening to see how much um effort and how much is achieved by universities looking to fill their public sector mission in this way i just want to actually add um an additional question and it, it, it's a follow-up on on you know something you just said in in, in your last answer which was, you know, when sort of, you know, dealing with the healthcare system, sort of, you know, sort of looking at sort of the challenges. And I just, just wonder, you know, in your engagement, how much do you try and listen to the voice of the patients? You know, how patient-centric are, are, are some of your activities? That's a really good question. So, I mean, I confess that that's not something, um, so I'm not a healthcare specialist. So it's not something that I've personally engaged in much until very recently. I've been talking to colleagues in the medical sciences division who've, you know, been talking about about the increasing um, and many layered ways in which we do engagement with patients. And I think certainly um, in the UK Spine program at our recent conference, one of the things that we wanted to do when we were discussing the problems of aging was to make sure that we included patient groups. And patients themselves and patient support groups because in the end when you're tackling a problem you know you have to include the people um that it's that it is affecting in order to make sure that you you've looked at all of the perspectives uh, and this is something which is an increasing focus in what we do um and i know so i'm no expert uh, but i know there are colleagues who are passionate about making sure this is a much stronger focus um and and yes so i think it is it continues to be important Phil, thanks very much for, for, for taking the time to, to, to speak to us today. Um, yeah, I, I think some of the insights that you shared, sort of, you know, sort of the processes um, and, and the way that, so for example, the University of Oxford is sort of thinking about that sort of that exchange of, of knowledge uh, is, is going to be fascinating to, to, to the audience. So, yeah, th thanks. Uh, thanks very much. Um, and also, I'd like to uh, thank the audience for for, for uh, listening in and if you would like to sort of um, uh, hear other uh, editions of uh, conversations in healthcare uh, be sure to follow our LinkedIn page because that's where we'll be posting uh, alerts to future episode releases so until next time uh, stay safe and healthy uh, I'm Mike Ward and I'll see you in the next episode <laughs>